0: We are back with a new episode today. I am your host, Dr. Ben uh, Kanell, co-founder of Geeks Like Us, and doer of lots of different things. And I am joined today by my three fabulous co-hosts. And we will start with Dr. Rachel because you were the first. Or no, wait, sorry. Dr. Sarah was the first to sign into the call, so Dr. Sarah.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Sawyer. I am an independent, currently teletherapist in the Seattle, Washington area, Um, and I also am a clinical contributor for Take This and do lots of streams and have a lot of fun times.
0: You're a very busy human.
1: (laughs) Not as busy as you. Yeah, I wrote
0: a, uh, I'll actually take that one because I wrote a list of everything I'm doing and I have over 30 things on the list. That's why I don't write a list. (laughs) See our list episode. (laughs) Rachel, how about you introduce yourself?
2: I am Dr. Rachel Cowart. I am the research director of Take This and a research psychologist and a mom of two tiny humans and one pug. And um, this is why we have planners, Kelly, for your lists. If you just, if you just, <laughs> it's
3: a priority down. thing, you know, if it was really important, it'll stay in my brain. And if it's not, it'll fall off until it becomes important and then pops back up. It's like evolution.
0: Like evolution, <laughs> science. <laughs>
2: Seems legit. Seems legit.
0: Well, uh, Dr. Kelly, our anti-list, anti-planner.
3: Sure. My name is Dr. Kelly Dunlap. I'm a practicing clinical psychologist. I also am an adjunct professor of game design at American University, and I am the community manager for Take This new title. Feeling, feeling fancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, that is. I am the parent to only one tiny human um, and
0: a beagle. I, I'm the parents of a f- four humans. Two of them not so tiny. Two of them relatively tiny, and a and a doggo and a kitty and oh, yeah, <laughs> and whatever else ends up in the house. I don't know. We had a frog. we one got zoos. It's okay. <laughs> you know, it's fine. All right, loaded question time. How are you all doing? Pretty dang good. It's Ass. okay
2: opposite yeah. opinions for, for
0: for um those in the future it is 2020 that is a loaded question in 2020 <laughs> it's uh I, i'll i'm gonna answer my own question because i'm the host and so why not i guess uh it, it's a weird time we were just chatting before we started recording of um the tr- scramble for all of us with school-age kiddos or kids trying to go to school and trying to figure out what the heck is happening. Um. Where I live, we are a month and two days away from the start of school, and we have no idea what that's gonna look like um and so, like I'm trying to figure like I need to plan for what my fall's gonna look like, so like am I staying home to be a teacher as well as working as a psychologist? are we looking for some form of child care- you know I, I don't know um. I talk about this a lot in my practice that anxiety is our desire to control the uncontrollable. And so that idea of planning and stuff is a way to try and have a way to control it. So like at this point, I'm just making a plan with a full understanding that I'm probably going to have to shove it out the window here, but um, I don't know. It's stressful.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that I'm doing better now than I was in March. Um, There's a structure to my days now where you know, I know when my son takes a nap, or I know when my daughter is going to do, air quote, schoolwork, even in the summer, because she needs something to do with her time. Uh, that's not Minecraft. <sighs> she plays Minecraft a lot, which is great. But you know, you have to diversify. Um, so I think, like for me, I'm in Ontario, and there are multiple school boards. There's a Catholic school board, and a French school board, and private school board, and public school board. And everyone has a different plan. Um, So that's a little confusing, especially for the parents here, because it's like the Catholic school board is saying you go one week and you have two weeks off. And the public school board is saying you go two days a week and then skip a day and then come back for another two days. I don't really know what's happening. Um, I think I'm lucky enough that my kids are young enough that I probably will just keep them home because it seems the easiest option instead of trying to figure out what this weird schedule is. And I think inevitably in the winter... When people get colds and flus, as they do, regardless of whether it's coronavirus, things are going to be, kids are going to be sent home for extended periods of time. It's easier to just like not deal with that and become the homeschool teacher um, and work around our schedules. I mean, Megan is independently employed. I am contractually employed. So we have flexibility in our schedules. So we're, that's a great luxury to be able to do that. Um, but I can't imagine parents who don't have that luxury how are you going to work when your kid goes to school one week out of every three, or two days out of the week out of yeah. every five? Um, yeah, it's,
3: it's yeah. There amazing. was a really great, I think it was New York Times article about how like parent or working during the pandemic and parenting is a lie, and it's just absolutely yeah. impossible each other to do. And I'm I'm lucky. My little one is too little to go to public school. Like he technically this year, if he was to be in school, it would technically be preschool, but he's at the in-home daycare that he's been in for like over almost a year and a half now. And very, very lucky because there's like five kids and all of the parents, we all know each other and we're all kind of like have this pact of, okay, we're all going to be smart. Like there's, you know, the safest, safest thing would probably be to keep him home, but that's not an option (laughs) for, for us. Um, given the work that I do and the work that uh, my husband does. And so like he goes and we're able to work and it actually works out okay. Um, But I did just learn that that daycare, they typically age kids out so that they're ready for kindergarten. So this would have been his last year. Well, because of all of this, they've decided to extend like up till uh, six-year-olds and implement like an early reading and math program. And they just got approved by the state to have it recognized. So my little guy is actually gonna be getting a pretty decent, um, education while he's at his daycare, which I just feel so ridiculously lucky. I mean, he literally has not missed a day of daycare at any point during this. Um, so I'm incredibly grateful and I'm also incredibly lucky, like for a lot of different reasons. Um, but yeah, I, a lot of the kids that I work with in therapy, you know, they're telling me about either they don't know the plans or, you know, what the plans they have. And I'm like, I, I don't want to see someone face to face who is going to a public high school, you know, even if it is only two days a week, you know, that's not great for a lot of different reasons. So yeah, it's really problematic. And uh, yeah, I don't envy anybody who has to make those kinds of really hard decisions. Um, And I think the people who are making those, making us make those hard decisions should just go like, you know, shoot themselves into the sun.
0: (laughs) Well, I had, like, my husband and I came up with a possible solution for at least, like, some of the high schools. Um, So we know that the mall is basically a dying Hmm. thing, that stores and malls cannot stay open. So I think that districts should take over malls and turn malls into schools because the hallways are humongous, and so people can social distance. A lot of the stores' areas are very big, so you can have desks properly spaced, and they're not really being used because a lot of the stores are closing down and things
2: it'll go. So. not mm-hmm. enough money in education oh, there's
0: never enough money in yeah. education
2: yeah i know well oh, that's I saw, a great idea
0: yeah i saw some sort of tweet that's like the world is in to a hundred you know a trillion dollars worth of debt and it's like to who <laughs> like, you know money's a construct you know it doesn't really exist i guess i don't know i mean I don't think my mortgage would accept that as a payment. I'm like, well, money's really a construct, so I don't have to pay.
3: <laughs> yeah. It's just a really crappy situation. And, you know, parents are bearing a lot of it. Parents who don't have the luxury of a flexible schedule or a, you know, like
0: mm-hmm.
3: I I feel so guilty whenever I order pizza. I do it once every two weeks, maybe. So like it's not even a frequent thing. But then I'm like, that poor person who has to go to work and is making I mean, oh, it just, i leave a big tip as if that somehow absolves me of my guilt. It does not. Um, but yeah, like I, it seems impossibly difficult to just really wrap your brain around the immensity of the problem and the harm and the damage that is just continuing to roll through like a natural disaster. Happy upbeat. So... How are you guys doing? Yes, Sarah, oh, how yeah. are those puppies? Oh I think God. we need a puppy break.
1: Yeah, yeah, tell us about no. the puppies. No, no, no. Oh. because Fury has decided, so we're staying, me and the dogs are staying in this little apartment above um, <clears throat> my parents' garage. The problem is that though it's quite nice and, you know, it's it's given us space and it's lovely. Um, every time the garage door opens, or the door between the house and the garage gets opened, like the, the like people door, not the, not the car door, um, they bark, and so even when I have her kenneled right now, which this is kind of a witching time where she's actually quiet, they, they like to very much bark. Um, so reorienting to a new space is hard. She's also trying to chew the corner of every single rug that we have on the floor, so puppy-proofing oh, no. is hard and unforgiving. Um, so I'm a little tired. Welcome this to motherhood. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she lives up to her name. This is, <laughs> this is not a new revelation.
0: Yeah. Did you pick up on the personality and that's how the name came? Or is she no. living up to her name?
1: She has a, she's living up to it because she had a black patch on her face, which reminded me of Imperator Furiosa from Mad Max. That's why she got named what she got named. So, <laughs> but she just happens to live to it. Good for her. I
3: support her independence <laughs> most... and ferocious spirit. Well, also, I'm sorry, Mama. <laughs> it's all her. <laughs>
1: it's okay. She's cute. I forgive her.
0: It's, it's going to be a time. Well, so like with all of these stress and everything, self-care, we all enjoy gaming. What have you all been playing?
3: Do we just all say it at once? Animal Crossing? We just.
2: Animal Crossing. <laughs> i still don't own it i uh <laughs> that's okay died. it's okay to be different
3: stand out unique
2: yeah
3: yeah animal crossing
0: <laughs> well i i i have been playing a new game that i really wanted to talk yeah. with you all about because it's it. beautiful and wonderful and if you haven't played it i highly suggest it um to the moon oh yes yes i've played that
2: Oh yeah. I saw that. It looks so cute. It's so cute. And like, it discusses
0: neurodiversity in it. And so far I'm not only into chapter two, but so far it's doing a good job.
3: Of It is. I would, if I were to have a list of games about mental health issues that I would recommend as being not just not terrible, but like good to the moon is on there. And it's got the most adorable art style. (laughs)
0: Oh my gosh, it's so cute. And like, I love the, the con- so the concept of the game is you play as two scientists and you are working for this company that has developed this machine and you go into somebody's memories and you can grant them a wish before they die. And so the oh. person's wish that you're trying to grant is they want to go to the moon. And so they have to go back into his memories and plant the idea as a child that you want to become an astronaut and you have to explore his history and stuff and find out which ways to nudge the memories to get him to that's take adorable. His life in that direction it's so cute oh just wait it oh uh, the feel i i'm expecting a little bit of heartbreak and there's a lot of feels already oh, and it, it's i i i ex, i'm experiencing this game more like um interacting with a book than like a game um so it, it's super cute. I highly recommend it.
3: Yeah, it's like a book where in order to turn a page sometimes, you need to
2: solve a puzzle. Mm-hmm. I did watch, um, actually Kelly and I both watched our friend Urban Bohemian on Twitch this week play No Straight Lines. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, did, I played vicariously through his experiences and that just looked like a fun game the art style was really cool. I'm not really sure exactly what you're doing. You're like slaying your enemies with like your rock and roll abilities. Basically is the way I'm going to describe it. Um but that looks really fun. I don't know if any of you have played it. I haven't
3: played it. I haven't played that but it's like a a, a rhythm-based um action game. So like you can do your attacks you in time to the music that's playing and different yeah. beats have
0: different attack styles and yeah.
2: The art style was
0: cool. Ooh. One of my kids would love that.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what I thought when I saw it. I was like, oh, my daughter would love it. But then it got a little intense. So maybe older than five, like mm-hmm. intense. Uh, like I'm she thinking doesn't have 16. the ability to do it. Oh, yeah. 16, I think, would be the sweet spot. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah this is my 16-year-old who still plays rock band uh, with the drums on professional mode with all the cymbals and everything all the time. So <laughs> Might be a good
2: fit. Perfect. Yeah. Let us know if he likes it.
3: Also, in addition to Animal Crossing, I have been—I played a little bit of Eliza because I've been streaming it. So I streamed Eliza. Um, I also had a really great uh, stream a couple weeks ago where I was playing Kind Words, which is—it's called a game. The bougie games academic in me isn't quite sure I want to call it that, but regardless. Um, it's got really cool music and basically people send letters out into the universe and then you have like an inbox of these letters and most of them are like people either screaming into the void, which is very real, um, or like asking for just kind of expressing their own difficulties. And so my stream and I for like almost two hours responded to these letters, um, which was really cool because the stream did it with me and apparently it was odd that I happened to have a feelings wheel on hand in my stream deck to put up. I'm like, okay, so we're hearing this person express, they use the word sad, so let's go to our feelings wheel. Okay, sad, what's a more specific word that we can call out for them? Because being able to identify the word is really powerful when connecting with them. And one of my favorite comments was, wow, you put a lot of thought into that. (laughs)
2: That was like a way to be- I am a therapist. (laughs) I am. And it was a way to be therapeutic without
3: being- therapeutic therapy. And so that was, That's brilliant. that was really fun. Um, I don't think anything new, just more of what I have been playing, um, but trying to do it on stream or in, in a different way, I guess. And I caught a lot of great white sharks and CJ was on my Island and I made like 200 K <laughs> selling whale sharks and great whites. So that was a
2: good day. <laughs> and animal crossing. Okay. Here's some news. I went to Kelly's town. I went to Kelly's Island and it was great, but you cannot give somebody the fish from your island. Um, I tried, so that was a bit of a bummer. But you but can. Your island was cute. You just mail it. You can't mail live animals. Yes, you can. No, you can't. What? <laughs> all right, let's. News to me too, Sarah. News to me.
3: Let's all go get our switches, and <laughs> and uh,
2: and try. You can't. You can't do it.
3: I tried. I had like five whale little... sharks. I'm like.
2: Take I them. know you did, and there were all in these huge tanks on the beaches. It was amazing. <laughs> uh, but I got to explore your island, which was beautiful, and that was fun.
1: That's so weird. I don't like that. You can mail
2: everything else.
1: Yeah.
3: I guess a great oh, white shark. I'm with you. Yeah. It might fit
0: in my pocket, but it does not fit in the mailbox. <laughs> yeah, but not in the mailbox, it's So nope. strange. so <laughs> strange. Nope. Speaking of sharks, like, uh, we had a very fun moment on Clinical Roll last night where That's I- <laughs> i used this monster from a book called the creature codex and uh, it's a ooze that has a great white shark inside of it so it's a fishbowl with a shark in it. and i had it making little baby oozes and one of our jack made the joke of, like is it baby shark and so it's like yes it is now and then every turn it became a different shark it went from baby shark to brother shark to mama shark.
3: <laughs> oh that's excellent uh,
0: which i actually i shared that with um one of the writers at Cobalt Press and they're share they're going to share the story and a little bit of the vod with their writing team because they're finishing oh. up another creature book right now and apparently they're all in like that end of development burnout, which is not fun. So, hearts to all the creators. Like the final push to get uh, something done is all it seems like it's always difficult and challenging. I wish it didn't have to be for people, but it is hard. So,
2: Especially now, the creators are keeping the rest of us going.
0: It really are and like I guess like that would be something I wish more people could do is like if you enjoy a product or you enjoy a game like reach out to the creators especially if it's a smaller studio which actually speaking of that I I will tweet at the people who made to the moon because I'm loving this game and it's cute and it's just it makes people stay to hear that like something you do or something you have made is bringing joy
3: yeah I have a funny story about that (laughs) Yeah. So there was a game that I found at PAX one year called Kitty in the Box. And I really dug Kitty in the Box. I really, really enjoyed that game. And I was on a panel later that day and um, I mentioned that that's what I was playing. And Larry Nelson, who's, uh, Larry Herb, who's Major Nelson, who's like a big Xbox personality, heard it. And then he went on a podcast and talked about it. And then I was just tweeting about how much I loved Kitty in the Box and then um, I discovered that when Kitty in the Box 2 launched, I had a credit in Kitty in the Box 2 because I was standing for them so hard. I'm like, oh my God, guys, I love Kitty in the Box That's so
1: sweet. That's awesome. That's amazing. My first, my first
3: like, actual game credit, and I didn't do anything other than play this game <laughs> and tell people how much I loved
1: pushing kitties into boxes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but
1: yes, I can. But I feel like people are... Go ahead. I feel like people are so quick to offer criticism to stuff and like post bad reviews or tweet at them and be like, why is his shirt purple? I wanted it to be blue. It's like, get, come on, get, get compliments in there as well, something. But instead there's so, there's such this urge to like complain. And I, I love it when we can give it back to content creators of like, I love what you do, you're doing great stuff, keep it up. Um, but we're not, we're not as quick to do that because when we're satisfied, I feel like there's some, I'm sure there's studies about it, I don't have them in front of me, I don't have receipts for this, but I hypothesize informally that there's gotta be this like, when I'm satisfied with the thing, I'm just gonna keep using the thing. Rather than like, when I'm satisfied with the thing, let me tell the person how much I love the thing that is Which we should a do thing.
2: that is a thing people that's why you look <laughs> at reviews people more likely leave bad reviews than good reviews that's the research i'm basing that on right because if you're outraged <laughs> you must let the world know but if you like it, you're just like yeah that's cool and you don't bother to.
3: yeah because anger is a motivator to action contentment mm-hmm. is
1: right
2: not not so
1: much <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> yeah. and in a
1: more corrective way like confirmation bias this is what i expected it to be or better
0: mm-hmm. yeah I, yeah And the way I phrase it to a lot of clients is like things that are wrong uh, from an evolutionary perspective could kill you. And so of course you pay attention to the things that are wrong and things that are right are not going to kill you. So we habituate to them really quickly. And when you're working on gratitude, you want to pay attention to the good stuff.
3: As someone who has made a game and then had strangers play said game, one, I can tell you it's terrifying because you're like, putting your child out into the middle of a highway and hoping that people don't murder it. Um, And so it can be like really, really intense, but watching somebody enjoy what you made, it just like the, the feeling is just phenomenal. And a difficult thing for larger studios is they don't get to see it as much. Because, you know, when I'm making a game, I'm the only person. And so when I play a test and when I show it, I'm there watching people play it. But if you work in a big studio and you're just kind of part of the machine that makes something happen, you probably don't ever get to interact very much with the people who played it on like a day-to-day or even frequent. So letting people know like, oh my gosh, I love this game so, so much. Um, it, it does. It means a lot. Because making a game is really, really,
0: really hard. Well, I kind of speaking about that, we had a listener noodle. One of our listeners wrote in and gave us a noodle is from uh, Garrick, and we'll play that right now.
4: Hi there. So I've been noodling about the psychology of video game launches and how that interacts with a player's sense of participation in their gaming community. So how do players feel in the run up to a launch of a game they're really looking forward to? How do players feel about themselves and their community when a game that they're really looking forward to launches and just doesn't find an audience and fails? What motivates players to advocate for games that haven't come out yet within their communities? And how do players feel when their communities suddenly become overwhelmed by discussions about a game that they maybe can't relate to or aren't interested in? So two experiences have made me noodle about this one game released in november that i quite liked that i was really looking forward to and it got very little media attention very few sales and in fact failed so badly that the development team had to shut down and this left me with a big sense of frustration and isolation towards the community i thought i was a part of and the other experience has been with a game that just launched this week i think they've done quite well but running up to the launch i felt really compelled to advocate for the game in discords on twitter um, amongst my coworkers. And that's made me think a little bit more about how a player's sense of their community interacts with their motivation to advocate for a game within their community. And yeah, that's what my brain's been noodling about lately.
0: And uh, so we just heard Garrick's noodle. <laughs> thank you. I, thank you, so, thank magic. you. We love having responses from our audience and getting to interact with you all. But i want to know all of your ideas about like hype around video games and that hype train and going into that and what because it's a good point like there is some psychology behind it like for smaller studios it really can make or break them um you know bigger triple a titles not as much but um i don't know What, what are all your thoughts
3: so it's, it's tough because obviously you want to have a lot of positive PR going into your game. Games is a super saturated space. And so you do need to kind of like hype it up to, in order to get any kind of attention or, or media focus or anything like that I, in terms of fans, I think that it can be really difficult because, you know, for example, I'm super hyped for the next, uh, Elder Scrolls game. No idea when it's going to come out, but I'm excited for it because it's something that I genuinely enjoy in the world and blah, 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 blah. Um, I think there's a difference between overhyping. So I think your average hype is fine, but when you think about overhype, um, for example, no man's sky had a ton of hype about it's expansive, you know, procedurally generated worlds and this never ending space. And I mean, technically that was accurate, but I think there was a disconnect between what some people think procedurally generated open world means and what others may expect. Um, and so it, it's an amazing game. It's a beautiful game. It is like an accomplishment of coding. But at the start in terms of other content, there wasn't a whole lot there. And so if you went in thinking that this is going to be some you know heavily populated world, you're going to be disappointed. And so part of it, I think is the messaging of games as they come out are they being not just are they being honest and truthful about what the content is and what people can expect but is their language something that people can find accessible so again most people don't think about what procedurally generated means in terms of like the game engine itself and that's okay i'm not saying that's their fault it's the fault of pr and marketing of like not making it accessible and i think it's more a matter of expectation versus hype but that's just, that's my my two cents.
0: Well, that's actually like a good point for like some of the bigger titles, like in the AAA category, it seems like the advertising department doesn't, they don't understand the game. And so like in their ads, they'll be like, you're gonna get to do this. And then like the developers have to be like, no, they that, that's not it. That's not how the game works. But then people have this expectation and they get mad, understandably, but... Hey, that's, yeah, that's a really big part of it too, I think. Yeah, you can't really be
3: disappointed if you're not expecting anything.
1: <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you
3: don't have high expectations or, um, I mean, think about like E3 or any game demos. They always list, you know, in-game engine or cut scene or, you know, in gameplay because there have been lots of problems in the past where something was shown and had these visually just stunning graphics. And then you get the game and you realize, oh, that was a cut scene. The actual game engine itself is not as refined um
2: said every fan of every game ever when they see the trailer
1: <laughs> yeah and so that's 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 tough <laughs> i think also like <clears throat> for series that have had significant followings when a new game comes out that doesn't meet the expectations um it it is really disappointing and this is where like as, as colleagues and, and more from the scholarly side, we've had discussions about nostalgia and video games because it's like, um, I think when I was on a panel, I brought up Kingdom Hearts and how like Kingdom Hearts 3 was not what everybody expected it to be. Some people loved it. Some people thought it was great. It, it does definitely follow the Kingdom Hearts formula, but it's not the same. Or like we have a good, a uh, good friend and colleague the gamer doc um who went as far as ordering the premium pre-order of Fallout 76 thinking that it would be such a beautiful sequel to Fallout um the Fallout gives before and then uh she even got like the helmet and everything and then when the game came it we all know if you haven't played Fallout 76 it is abundantly different from the rest of the series and it is mm-hmm. not not as popular with the original following, um, it's, it's not a, I would never call any given game a trash game because like what Dr. Kelly's saying, games take a, an abundance of work and creativity and cleverness to put together. And it was not what people expected. And that, that disappointment factor is what really gets in the way when people expect something. And so now, um, our friend the Gamer Doc is like, I'm not playing another Fallout until it's proven what it shows. Never again doing a pre order. Like, <laughs> she's been burned. And I'm, I get yeah. It. Well, and it, it's hard, like, because
0: there's so many games where the hype and, like, we're just so e- excited to play. And I can't imagine from the dev- developer standpoint of that pressure. Like, um, the mm-hmm. game I'm most looking forward to is the sequel to Breath of the Wild. Oh, yes. Um, like i i'm fingers crossed that zelda's a playable character please 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 um but like it looks so beautiful and i love the lore like i have watched hours of videos on like the suspected lore of uh breath of the wild and how it ties into the other games and what timeline is breath of the wild out of and how does that impact the story and the different sites and the history of the i've gone deep it's it's bad (laughs) but like i'm also very aware that like if the expectations are too high, there's no way it's going to be able to live up to it. And as much as I want to know about the game, the more I know, the harder it's going to be for it to live up to my expectations, I think.
1: So, I, but I feel like that was a game that had an appropriate level of hype, and that was super hyped. But yeah, it and I feel like that's just that's a shot in the dark because they don't know if people, the consumer, are going to like it the way that they hype it. But that one matched the hype versus, mm-hmm. like... It matched, I, it matched the hype, though,
2: because people enjoyed playing it. You could say Fallout 76 matched the hype if people enjoyed
1: Well, right, but they don't know... It, yeah. I, in the defense no, of the no marketers, way, no. they don't know what people are going to actually enjoy playing, but they're going to market no. it like you will. Because, of course, that's Mark. I mean, who's going to yeah, market sure. this game like this is a mediocre f- follow-up to the previous three blockbuster games. No, like,
2: no.
1: <laughs> but they could no, but I mean, it's about setting
2: appropriate expectations. Sorry, there's a That's loud okay. noise in my house. Um, I was, I, there's a psychology vocabulary word that I'm just trying to find in my brain and I can't yeah. find it about where your expectations aren't met. It's
1: I know like, it's in my head too. You. I feel you.
2: It's on the tip of my tongue, but it's funny. So I Googled, when your expectations are not met, psychology term, because I wanted to get it. But the first thing that came up is expectations are premeditated resentments, Ooh. which I think is an interesting way about it. Wow. Yeah. Psychology today. That's what I, I mean, is. that's a nihilistic perspective. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. But
1: <laughs> I don't know. I, too, am excited about that. And on that note, for Megan's lack of Animal Crossing... I will again call you out, Rachel, that you still need to play Breath of the Wild. Uh, That's what I'm going to play on stream. So I'm going to
2: start streaming in August, August, and I'm going to play Breath of the Wild for the first time on stream, for many reasons, one of which, uh, because I've never played it. (laughs) And this will force me to play it, and people love it, and I love Zelda, and I think it makes for fun. So yes, coming coming soon, I will be playing.
0: That's awesome. My daughter started playing Breath of the Wild, but she doesn't like any of the fighting. She just oh, wants to explore and pick things up. And she just anytime like something is fighting, she hands me to the controller. She's like, mommy, do the fighting. <laughs> oh.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's what I do when I play GTA and the cops start chasing me. <laughs> Husband, get away from the cops. I don't like it when they change. <laughs> oh, I love it. <sighs>
0: All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break and then we will come back and go into our main topic.
4: Hey, I'm Jonathan Anslow. You can catch me on RetroNathan Fridays at 4:30 where I'll be playing various indie games that feature a retro aesthetic. Come reminisce with me about a time when chiptune and pixel art ruled.
0: And we're back. Uh so this week we're going to be talking about kind of a deeper topic, but something I my has been noodling in my brain, so I think it it's appropriate for brain noodles but this idea of the responsibility of artists in accurately portraying different things and things can be a broad category from physical disabilities to psychological issues to careers and different events in our lives um and i I'll give sort of my background with it because so much of our ability to learn about the world is through experiencing it from the eyes of others and through playing games or reading books, watching movies. And if those expectations are skewed, we're let down or we feel like we're doing something wrong. Um, I don't know if this is actually what it's called, but I sort of think of it as the friends phenomenon, where you have this idea that your first apartment is supposed to be nice and spacious in a good location. Uh, rent controlled and you have like a full kitchen, a full bath, two full bedrooms and a balcony um, in New York, Manhattan, no less. Uh, and that doesn't really exist. That's not realistic, but it creates all these expectations for a lifestyle that isn't going to happen to you right out of college and when you're start starting off your career. Um, but like, was it the responsibility of the show to show people living in a crappy apartment or... You know, I, I don't know. And I, I think there's a really interesting discussion around this, so I'd love to hear everyone else's thoughts on it.
2: Oh, that's a big pass. I mean, I think <laughs> um, I think that it's a fine line. Uh, Dr. Kelly and I are working on a paper talking about mental health representation in games. And there's um, a fact that we cite in there that says the most information that people get, the majority of information people get about mental illness is through media. So in that sense, not portraying it accurately is doing a great disservice in terms of help-seeking behavior or in terms of understanding mental health and mental wellness, uh, mental health challenges, etc. It's hard to say that as artists creating art that you must portray everything accurately. Friends wouldn't be as fun if, they, if part of the storyline was how crappy their apartment was, mm-hmm. right? Um, So it's hard to say that they have to or they have an obligation to. I think it's important that at least sometimes someone portrays mental health appropriately uh, in media. I
1: feel like it depends.
2: I think it's hard with art. Yeah, it depends. I
1: feel like it depends because, like, it is known that, like, house has very little, like, appropriate or actual like medical accuracy (laughs) right and we see that with the medical doctrine we can do that differentiation in our head i think the difference is that there is stigma attached to mental health care in a way that is different from other portrayals of roles and that while we can acknowledge like for example one that came up in my brain when we brought up this topic um, and we're planning was um lucifer and the way that they the- the character is portrayed as a therapist in Lucifer is qualitatively different than a lot of the therapists portrayed where, like, yes, I c- we can probably go through a bunch of show names and list at least three major ethical problems with every therapist we see, (laughs) right? And we're all bound to this ethical code that, like, don't have sex with your client well, Lucifer's main power in the show is to have, like, convince people to do whatever he wants, which is often sex. So that was a problem. And then they had kind of this exchange between sex and therapy services. So that was, that was problematic. But oh God. at some points, there's these little shining nuggets where she's like, okay, I don't have my therapist sat on right now. I'm going to be really real with you. This is fucking stupid. Like, pardon language. This is really stupid. And then, like, That was great, right? Because then she's defining roles, but then she becomes friends with people who used to be her clients or are directly related to her clients, so that's another ethical issue, right? Like, there's things we can point out, but at the same time, when they showed her in therapy with Lucifer, doing the actual therapy work, it wasn't such a terrible portrayal as, like, and how does that make you feel? Or, like, the unethical bits. So, I mean, it, it it is very fraught. And I think it depends. Like, the show Gypsy... First of all, the naming therein was problematic because of discrimination and slander. But also, it just nails on a chalkboard for me because the whole thing was this romance that she was developing and this attraction she had towards her client. And it's like, this is the impetus of the show. Please stop, (laughs) stop. This is my worst nightmare as a therapist. Like I never want to be in that position ever. So the feels
2: thing is, therapy is such a good example, right? Because people use media as an escape. If you sat and watched real therapy, it would not, it's slow. Yeah. And it's a lot of pauses and reflective listening. Uh, it's not what you want to see. You want to see the man having sex mm-hmm. with his client, right? That's, it's entertaining. It's a, it's a break from your everyday life. The show In Treatment on HBO, I don't know if anybody's ever mm-hmm. seen that. That one, when I watched it, I was doing my master's in counseling, is very good in terms of accurate portrayal up there except he has sex with his client later again i think
1: but that's rule number one in the ethics code do not do that yeah we we have a whole section Uh,
2: it's section 10
0: which is basically do not ever touch your client there is no such thing
1: as a true love clause
0: there is
2: like yeah we have a whole section of our ethics code is do not interact six feet away the time of coronavirus at least um but yeah, but people found it boring and it got canceled. So there's the other thing. So it's like, okay, if, if media is art, does it should it be accurate? People will find it boring. That's not really what people want. But then again, it's where they're getting their I think it has mm-hmm. a lot
3: to do with the vulnerability of the topic, as well as how many other kinds of touch points people have. So for example, my son's cat in the hat comes back book has a gun in it. It's a little pop gun and it shoots red spots because that's what the cat in the hat does. We have absolutely no problem with violence in this country and we know from the research over and over again that just because you can play an axe-wielding murderer in a video game doesn't mean that you behave that way or that you believe that that's appropriate that's also because we've been taught from like the day we're born that it's not okay to hurt people it's not okay to hit little timmy it's not okay to bite becky you know these are things that are enforced and drilled into our heads over and over and over again and then when you get to something like mental health it's already a vulnerable population who are more at risk for other types of, you know, like difficulties in their lives because of their mental illness, they're already vulnerable. And then you add on to that, no one ever tells you how to like, just talk to people in general, like effective communication, empathic listening. These are things that I didn't get until I was in graduate school. I mean, thankfully I had a knack, um, but like, we don't, I was taught pre-cal, guess what I never use? Pre-calculus, I've never dissected a frog. Like there's so much stuff we're taught in school because we're told that it's important to know, but we're not taught things like, oh, this is what depression looks like. These are warning signs for anxiety. And so, so many people go through their life either suffering needlessly or just not understanding that this is a thing in the world. And then when the only representations they have are what they see on TV. If, and, and not just like fiction, I'm not blaming fiction. Like if you look at the news, I have a, a stat from one of my slides, um, on this topic about how I think, Oh God, what's the stat? Uh, of all the times that mental health is in the news, about 70% of it is because it's related to violence in some way. And not that the person with the mental illness is the victim, but rather the perpetrator or it's tied together with violence. Think about all of the school shootings. Like the question always comes up, oh, well he had a mental illness or something like that. And so we are primed from our news media, from our primary sources, from our fiction, that mental illness is dangerous. Mental illness means you're unstable, you're crazy, that you are helpless, that you can't be relied upon. And so the fact that all, like we have no counter conditioning you know, we can see terrible things happen in the news, we can see terrible things happen in our media, but we have counter conditioning. <laughs> we know that you're not supposed to punch someone in the face. But when you look at something in a game, and not even something like Batman Arkham Asylum, okay, we get that. That's so far beyond, that's so satirical, okay, whatever. But then when you look at like, smaller things, like the, the horror tropes of how many times you spawn into an insane asylum and something good happens, well, never. And that's already such a stigmatized, terrifying experience to be hospitalized. Like the last thing they need is to have it played out as being even worse in all sorts of media with nothing else to compare it to. And so that's my stump speech on if it's art, you can do whatever you want. You're right. You have your artist's expression. However, the second it leaves your hand, you have some kind of responsibility for at least letting people know what they're about to get into. And so if you want to express yourself in whatever way, go for it. But when you are involving other people in your creations, whether it's displayed in a museum or an arcade, there is some level of responsibility of making sure that someone else can at least consent to what they're getting into. If you want to go into material that specifically targets vulnerable populations (laughs) or stigmatized populations. Okay.
0: Well, and that that actually reminds me of something, and I'm going to give trigger warning talking about uh, suicide and self-harm here. Mm-hmm. So if you want to fast forward, uh, we'll fast forward and hopefully Amelia put a little thing to where to skip to. Um, but thinking of... Uh, Tim Hickston on his channel, YouTube channel, Hello Future Me, did um, he's done two amazing videos on mental illness representation. One with the, none other than Dr. Rachel Coer helping from Take This on in video games, but then also in literature. And he dives into talking a lot about um, 13 Reasons Why. And all. Of, I did watch that show. I did not like it. I haven't watched the follow-up seasons of it. Um, but like talking about that there was a spike in suicides after that show came out. And like, there were a lot of problems around it and how it portrayed her depression and how it portrayed her suicide and her self harm Like all of these things were, it was so horrible. And like, I'm not saying that the creators of that show are responsible for the behaviors of other people, but there is some responsibility to think about the potential consequences of what you're doing because like when you can look at something and be like this caused direct harm like that's that can be problematic and like I'm not I'm not saying like we need to do lawsuits or anything like that please but no I don't like a lawsuit culture but more of an awareness of like what could the harm in this be how can we mitigate this like I think in many ways it's an With 13 Reasons Why specifically, like it has some important conversations and has some important things of like um, her descent into depression, I think was uh, really well shown because it wasn't obvious. And it was just a a bunch of little teeny tiny signs. And it was none, there was no glaring, like, wow, you seem depressed now and let's get you help. But like it was in that way, it was more realistic. But uh, also then, There's a lot of bad stuff. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. There's a show. I've been trying to find it while we've been talking. I can't seem to find it, but there was this show like called asylum or something on Hulu or Netflix. And I was expecting the worst. And I often look at those things just to like, I don't even know, torture myself. I don't know, but I was very pleasantly surprised to see it be an actual portrayal, like a documentary sale portrayal of an actual mental health inpatient facility um, overseas, I think in France, where they kind of featured a few of the clientele who were willing to be on camera and consented to the procedures and the therapy staff had apparently helped them determine who would be able to consent properly and not vulnerable adults. So like they took steps and then they actually show really touching moments between the staff and the clients. But again, I mean, there's a reason that isn't in the top 10 on Netflix or the features on Hulu, because while they put a flashy picture of someone in a straight jacket on the cover of it and call it asylum. Yeah, it's, you didn't see Dr. Kelly putting her jazz hands up and big scary face. Like, we don't, it's boring or it's it's not compelling. 13 Reasons Why is a show that's been so compelling and it's like, yeah, but here's a bunch of reasons why that's not okay and that's not correct. I think what
3: gets me is that There's a show called crazy ex girlfriend, which I had a lot of people recommend and say it was great. That title. I'm like, Oh God, guys, I'm probably gonna hate this. It's amazing. That show is wonderful. It's compassion (laughs) and empathy for mental health is astounding. And like, so to me, that just combats the idea of, well, it has to be edgy and dramatic, which is the, not saying that anyone here is saying that, but just that tends to be like, oh, we need to exaggerate it so people will want to pay attention. Or, well, you can't do comedy around mental health. Are you kidding? That, That show, I die laughing. It is so funny. But the crux of it is that the main character has borderline personality disorder. You know, not something we typically associate with, you know, wholesome plus comedy. Like the mental illness is never the butt of the joke. It often is the instigator of problems, but that's kind of the point. She sees a therapist. Her therapist is amazing. like And like there's, her therapist has a song. There's so much like singing and dancing in the show. It is just breakout musicals all over the place. Her therapist has a solo and it is my heart. Like this time it's going to be different or I quit. Um, although my favorite song. I love that song. It's so good. It's so good. Um, my favorite song though is My Diagnosis, which she sings after finally coming to terms that she needs, you know, to like talk to someone and it's funny and it's witty and it's so well done. And so I just, I always like to point to that for people who are like, oh, well, you know, it's such a serious topic. It's such a downer. You know, no one wants to pay attention to that because there are really good shows. It sounds like Asylum and in treatment. I watched that during my training, too, and I thought it was really good. And so it's about like finding this balance between what is engaging, what people are willing and interesting to look at, um, but also keeping it close enough to the science that at least you're not doing harm. Like, I feel like that's such a low bar. Just don't, don't put yourself in a position to hurt people.
0: That's it. That's the tweet. And yeah, no, I I agree. Like, that's the big thing is like, can we just not do harm? Like I'm not saying that you have to, when you write something or create something, you have to become an expert in it, but can you at least do enough research that you're presenting it in a thoughtful way that's not harmful?
3: Yeah. And always imagine like, who are you punching at? And whatever you're doing, like, mm-hmm. who is who is the victim? Who is the butt of the joke? Who is like, the person who is going to be the NPC number six who gets trashed? You know, and if it's the black character, or the gay character, or the mentally ill character, like, really ask yourself why you're doing that. And what kind of preconceived notions you have attached to it as well. I had a student, This a little bit of a choo-choo in the other direction. I had a student um, for one of my classes last, last semester who did a video presentation on the queerness of villains or the queering of villains. I was like, oh my God, my eyes are open. Holy crap. Um, and it's just, it's shocking. And again, it's not because someone's like, oh, I want the villain to be gay because gay is bad. But rather, oh, I don't want the villain to have like a love interest. And the only way that's possible between like a guy and a girl is if the guy is gay or if the girl is gay. And like, it's very, I feel like Sarah can probably talk to this a lot better than I can since I went to her training on this kind of subject. And I know she (laughs) is an expert. Um, But yeah, I just, that was something for me of like, when I'm thinking about my characters and when I'm making my games and writing my stories, always in my head of like, okay, who am I writing this for? Like, who is it that's getting, you know, there's always got to be conflict. So who is the conflict with and against? And what are my preconceived notions and beliefs and biases that are going into that and shaping how that shapes out? And if I can't answer that question, then I need to go ask somebody
1: who is an expert. I would say not even, I, I would say that I interpret much of that to be an attempt at being inclusive of diverse identities in shows, but done wrong. Because, yes, we need good and bad characters, quote-unquote, if we're going to do this, like, dichotomy of, like, the bad guy, the good guy, right? We need diverse characters on both sides. But, for example, spoiler alert for She-Ra, Katra uh, is a beautiful example. She's a beautiful example. It's not, it's not a big, big spoiler, because okay. you kind of see it from the beginning. <laughs> okay? But, like... Yeah. She's a beautiful example of a character that happens to be on the wrong side of, like, she's- she's a bad guy, but she also is a lesbian. But, it is not a to-do about her identity as the crux of why she's bad. That's the thing. Like, identifiers should not be the derivative of why a character is good or bad. Mm -hmm. Superman is not good because he's- he's a white appearing alien dude. Right? He's Superman because he's got powers. And he cares, and he's lawful good. That's why he's Superman. But he's also a white dude who we ascribe these good things, so it's not a to-do about that. We've accepted that variety of identities can exist, but they don't exist as bad because of the identity. They exist as bad because that person's, like, their intention, their, their trauma, their, their story. Might influence who they become, but it's not about like if you're gonna put a gay person on there, don't make it the crux in their 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 transition point of their identity and portray that as like the center of their story. Just Mm -hmm. have different faces, different identities there, and don't let that impact the story in such a significant way, or don't let it rely on stereotypes about those identities, like.
0: you're actually actually rolling into something that i i struggle with a lot with american media specifically which is how shallow the characters are like I, i compare um some of the bbc shows i'm a fan of to the american versions of those shows and like it's so interesting because the American characters in our shows, like they, if it's a good guy, they always have to do the right thing. Whereas in like shows on the BBC, the good guy sometimes does terrible things
3: mm-hmm.
0: yep. and it allows for that complex identity. And like, that's, I actually talk to a lot of my clients about the harm in consuming just American media because it's like, it gives us a very odd sense of what it's like to be a human. Because yeah. it's like, okay, if I want to be a good person like um whoever I'm blanking on any good example right now, I always have to do the right thing. I can't ever struggle. Supergirl. Like, Supergirl. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, actually <laughs> I have a little funk side story of their therapy side story. I have a little funko pop of Supergirl in my office. Um and one of my character, or one of my uh, clients, is very stuck in being a perfectionist. And so we actually did an empty chair technique, but instead of an empty chair, we put Supergirl in the chair. And this client got to tell Supergirl off for just being too perfect and setting a bad example for her in <laughs> that way. That's so great. Which, it was great. It was actually very cathartic for them. Yeah. Um, they were. Yeah. They felt it. That whole thing of like felt silly at first, but then they were like, "I hate having this example of perfection that I could never reach, and I don't want that. I want somebody that I can actually be like." Mm-hmm. And, and that's another thing in art, like, yeah, it's great to have heroes, and it's important to have heroes
1: who are heroic, but they're allowed to have flaws, too. <laughs> the, the odd thing is, in that show, and I've praised this before on Twitter, hashtag good reviews, uh, her sister, Alex, in the show, they portrayed her coming out beautifully. No mm-hmm. identification to her coming out at all, just saying. Um, and then, it just just was no longer a thing. She dated, we witnessed relationships as we witnessed relationships with other people among the show. It wasn't like, and now featuring the queer section, it was just like, (laughs) here's what's going on in Alex's life. Alex is a beautiful role model because she's not perfect. She's got character. She's got flaws. Supergirl down the line has flaws. But at first she's this just like perfect, lawful, good. I can do all things. Let me rewind time and fix it all. Like, or Sarah, the white canary from that show series. Like, great example. Yeah. However, I do have a bias towards the lesbian. So I'm so sorry, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> well, I, was
3: don't be sorry. I was just <laughs> thinking about some of my favorite characters. I'm like, oh, a lot of them come from BBC shows. Um, I was thinking yeah. of Luther from Luther. Yeah. A very flawed character. Uh, Sherlock from the reboot with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Definitely yeah. a flawed character. Um, Downton Abbey. <laughs> God, I love Downton Abbey. Um, it's so good. It's so good. Um, but then I also think about like Marvel. One of my favorite yeah. characters is Iron Man because he is so not perfect. Like he's not a good, largely at least in Iron Man one, he's not a good human being, you know, at the start. And even throughout, you could make arguments that he's not, you know, great. And I know this will probably crush Dr. P's heart. That's why I don't like any of the Captain America movies where it's just Captain America because he it's is too like, for me. I am going to do the right thing. And sometimes that's hard. I'm like, okay, I get that. I get that sticking to your morals. Great. But that's not super interesting to me compared to someone like Iron Man who, you know, has a lot of depth and a lot of discord and has real problems that cause problems for other people. And that to me is so much more interesting than hello, I'm Captain America. This is America's ass.
2: Well, I mean, I mean, it is. It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> is it though? It is. is it though?
1: Are there other cute butts? Why do we have to have a white dude's butt?
2: There's a lot of That's other true. cute butts. There doesn't. No one said there was only one. It's a. It's one of many.
3: It's an American I'm, ass. I'm open to evaluating anyway, all kinds of asses. I'm just <laughs> throwing it out there. <laughs>
1: Uh, I'm like, what's your inbox. <laughs> <laughs> the doctors sound like creeps.
0: <laughs> I just want to be fair. Well, uh, oh my gosh. Oh, well, Rachel, I want to hear from you. You've been a little quiet. Like, what are for your thoughts on all this?
2: <sighs> yeah, no, I, I definitely agree that characters who don't have flaws they are not relatable, they're not as enjoyable. I also prefer British TV. Sherlock is such a good example.
3: Absolutely. Um, Black Mirror. I was just thinking Black Mirror. That's m- arguably
2: argue my I do favorite like show. Black Mirror. Black Mirror's going dark though. Yeah. Okay. Have you have
3: you seen yeah. the new season? We're well, in the gut sign. Have you seen the new uh, season of Black Mirror? You know,
2: which I love which all one? Of it's called Mirror. 2020, exactly. right?
3: Black Mirror 2020. It's wow. this immersive wow. ARG where you're living
2: Black Mirror. Well, have you, Charlie Brooker, who does Black Mirror, actually uh, came out with an article saying he no longer, he's no longer—he's not writing Black Mirror episodes right now because 2020 is too dark, and he's working on a comedy. Like that's not a joke. Like he's like, okay, no one needs more Black Mirror right now.
1: Yeah, I need more Black Mirror. <sighs> We're in Did it. Did you see the first episode of the most? Re- I was—I will be honest, Doctor Kelly, you I've gave me—you gave me a little bit of a palpitation because I was like, they do those silent drops, though. Is there a new season? <laughs> <No>. But. Um, <laughs> No. The first episode of the most recent season is not dark. I mean it
2: The one about the, the car accident? It's the
1: one about the video game. The what it is are you joking? It, it's not dark. No 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 <laughs> no 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 The one where they have the VR where the, the two dude friends who are in straight uh-huh. marriages. Yeah, what Oh, that
2: one. Yeah, I was talking about the other video game episode. I was like, No, that, that was one's horrifying. very
1: horrifying. No, I'm talking about the the <laughs> Double Dragon, whatever the one that's based on Mortal Kombat. I don't yes. remember what it's called.
2: Yes, there is a VR romance in game VR romance. Yes, uh, you're right. Which it that is. is it
1: one. is right. at its darkest moments just socially complicating because the two dudes yeah play characters that are very yeah. appealing to one another and then are like, Do I like you in real life? What's up? in the for the listeners if you haven't seen it the first video
2: game episode there's like a giant spider with like a human face oh. there's like all okay no 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 no
1: no, i don't so call that, that a video game. Dark, that like is Sarah. that is a vr experience <laughs> that is not a. Yeah. Vid- I mean they yes. tout it, it as was. a video game right. but technically as dr kelly will confirm it is a vr experience where he goes into a haunted house that is tailored to his fears and yeah, reacts okay. to his heart rate which sounds like a lot of things we've heard about lately well that's true <laughs>
2: Um also I will say Hulk is the best Avenger. <laughs>
1: just just poke that in there.
2: I'm partial. Partial. He's also flawed though.
1: He is. They're all flawed except for Cap. I was just actually no, well, okay. I gotta come into
0: defense of Cap real quick. <laughs> because it, no, in yeah. Winter Soldier, he lies to his superior officer. <sighs> which, but like that is such a big moment for him because he he moves from being like lawful good in into being a neutral good character forgive me if that is not thrilling well no but it's it's a big deal for him because like he was this paradigm of just like doing the right thing following the rules and like realizing the things that he stood for maybe don't stand anymore and how to you know dealing with that and trying to come to terms with like this thing that i've been standing for is maybe evil and how do i deal with that
2: yeah
3: um yeah no obviously there is definitely character growth he goes from just being the yes sir poster child to more complicated but it's still like he, he will always do the right thing it may not be following orders. The most good yeah which again that's not a terrible thing it's just not as interesting to me and we can psychoanalyze that if we
0: want to um but now i agree that i think tony stark is a much more interesting character like it's in my head, I have written a Deeper paper, character. but I'm probably never going to actually write it. Where he go, you know, in i i Iron Man two the post credit scene where they do the evaluation on him and they say yes to Iron Man but no to Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. I think that's such an incredible moment. And then like when you come full circle to the very end of of uh, Endgame, spoilers, when he says, "I you know I am Iron Man," like. Tony Stark becomes Iron Man. Like he becomes mm. the thi- you know, the best version of himself. And I think that was just, it was such a beautiful character arc. It was so well written. Um, yeah. 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 I will just say that Gamerdoc assigned
3: us Avenger characters, and I really fought mine at first. But I have yeah, just. You did. I, you really you did. did. I have or just come to accept it. Let's go into uh, it. She, she assigned guy. us uh, Sarah was Black Widow, Rachel was Hulk. And I I was Hawkeye. <laughs> and I was trying you sure to you're over it yet? I was trying <laughs> to figure it out. And I actually told my husband, I'm like, this cannot stand. I am definitely not Hawkeye. <laughs> and he's like, what? Hawkeye? Like the Avenger's dad? I'm like, fuck, I am Hawkeye. Um mm-hmm. so I've <laughs> accepted it. Yeah. I have. I, it's been a hard journey. Um, but And that there's anything wrong with Hawkeye, but like, here you've been on screen for five seconds, (laughs) brain zap, and yeah, (laughs) bows and arrows. His story,
1: if you read the comics, his story is actually really cool.
3: Have not read the comics, but I'll take your word for it.
1: It makes a lot of sense in you as a personality. I will say,
3: can we ditch the Myers Briggs and do the Avengers?
2: I feel like it would be much
1: more accurate.
0: That'd be much more fun, to be
2: honest yeah it's like what's your hogwarts house what avenger are you these are let's all do it. superior okay i'll get right let's on do that it.
1: i mean that's what my dissertation basically was i said what does your favorite avatar say about you personality nice yep
0: all right well we will take a quick break and when we come back we will talk about what our brain's been noodling on
2: um, hi this is the voice of clamshell guy from clinical Role. it's a
0: podcast that features a bunch of psychologists and therapeutic game masters who play Dungeons and Dragons. So, you know, tune in every other Monday on the Geeks Like Us channel on Twitch. And um, stay tuned to some YouTube uh, all the episodes. <laughs> T- tune in to find out. Will my new base seasoning catch on? Uh, let the adventure continue. Thank you. And we're back. So it's the end of the show. This is where we just get to talk about what we've been noodling on. Um, I'll start if that's all right with everybody. Uh, I've been noodling a lot on just uh, self-care and balancing that. Um, I am a very big advocate for others to take care of themselves. And I am admittedly horrible at it for myself. Um, And so I've been trying to do more of reaching out to people and asking for help and dealing with that and walking the walk and it's been very hard um like been the reason I have been playing to the moon is a part of my initiative for self-care and trying to you know like um being a mom and having younger children like I feel like every moment is precious and so like there's that pressure I feel like "Eh, spend every single waking moment with your kids and like that's great, but then if I'm burned out and not enjoying that time, so trying, I don't know, just been noodling around, like, what's a good balance of self-care versus projects versus work versus teaching and all of that stuff, and it's hard. It, the TLDR is, it's hard.
2: <laughs> it is hard. I feel you, mama. That's a hard one. I'm glad that you're making efforts to try and find that balance, because it's not easy to do.
0: And on a side note, another thing I've been noodling on is Joy-Con Drift because I have two sets of Joy-Cons and they both have terrible drift right now. And I don't want to spend $80 to get new ones.
2: Um, so my husband ordered on Amazon, like the little kit that comes from overseas, that's like 10 bucks and it comes with two different things to fix it. Uh, admittedly, the first little set of tools that it comes with to fix it did not fix it, but the second one did. And it was only $10. bucks. we will try that. So <laughs> if you are mechanically engineer inclined. I can recommend the $10 Fix It Kit instead of buying a new
3: one. So, I guess what I've been noodling about, uh, oddly enough, is like psychology, mental health, and games, which I know is shocking. Um, but mostly because, you know, at Take This, I came on as program manager managing our streamers, and I'm now community manager. I've set up our Discord, I've become a Discord expert very quickly, um, and I'm still working on that. Um, but I have been hanging out in the streams more and like modding for our streamers and really trying to be like active and supportive and becoming more immersed in the streaming environment. I have realized how many people are out there giving therapy or trying to give therapy via their streams. And um, it's really like concerning and worrying and upsetting. So noodling on a lot about, okay, as a licensed actively practicing clinician, you know, there's a lot of caveats in there. Um, like where is, where is my boundary? Where is the line in terms of ethics? I literally took a CEU <laughs> earlier this week that was specifically on if you're a licensed psychologist and you're going to be in the media, here is like important stuff for you to know. And so I've found that very helpful. Um, but yeah, there have been very significant examples recently in the streaming community of really terrible mental health, um, including, you know, again, content warning, but I won't go into it. Um, You know, deaths by suicide by, at one point earlier this week, it was four people in 10 days and like notable streamers. And so, you know, trying to be there for my streamers and support that community while also being an ardent advocate for, yes, we need more mental health people in streaming spaces. Ooh, but not like that um, is really hard, especially when Certain individuals espouse, like, are doing pure, like, they are doing therapy. They are using those skills on stream, and then you see they have this huge following, and how, like, even people you are close to. I have some game devs who saw a specific streamer doing this thing that I think is abhorrent. And they're like, "Oh, that's so great! We should, we should have him come talk to us." And I was like, "No." And so that kind of um It's not imposter syndrome. I don't know what it is, but like, what is wrong with me that I'm doing things the right way? I'm doing things the ethical way. I'm trying to make sure to like, do no harm and put the well-being of others first and foremost, as is like my freaking Hippocratic oath as a licensed clinician. And this person just gets to literally cause significant harm and just like, he gets applauded for it. And I'm just... Wrestling with what that means for me as a professional, as a streamer, as a clinician, like what is my duty? Where does that start? What does that stop? And it's really confusing and quite frankly, kind of overwhelming. Um, so that's where a lot of my attention has been is just on, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna channel Megan. What is mine to control? <laughs> what what are the things that I can accept? What are the things I cannot accept? And if I cannot accept them, how am I going to change them? And what can I change? So that's been that's been my, I'm sorry, that got kind of heavy. Um, but that's where my mm-hmm. brain has been largely at past week. It's
1: Heavy is okay. Heavy's okay. Yeah. I feel like for the record, um, and all of this feels very tied to the conversation we were having about media portrayals of psychology and therapy. The the short clip answer that I like to say whenever people are like, well, what's wrong with someone providing loose therapy on stream or for viewers or blah, 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 or why why does it matter what they're portraying? It's all about the client and the consumer, because it's about their safety and their choice to participate in that space and have that space have rules. It's like, you're not going to walk into, um, a soft trigger warning and or content warning for parents listening with kids around. Um, I'm going to talk about sex for a minute. Um, BDSM, like if you walk into a BDSM situation, you're not just going to be like, yeah, do whatever you want. Like, no, you're not you're going to talk about it. You're going to come up with a safety word. You're going to discuss what can and cannot be be happening. Like, you don't just want to say use whatever tools you got, cover my eyes. I don't care. Like, no, that's no. Therapy is the same, but not because your therapist is approaching having sex with you using tools. It's because your therapist doesn't want you to get worse with your depression or be re-traumatized with your trauma or be like unhelpful people when you try to come to them with your concerns. The whole point is to be helpful. And so when you don't have that consent and those rules and those questions and those, those guidelines, the very short TLDR answer is it's bad because if you get hurt, there's no agreement. There's no protections. And if you get hurt, too bad, so sad. And on top of that, that, that... person is not liable. Although we are technically liable. <laughs>
3: I think that BDSM example is perfect, especially because if someone did come in the door and said, do whatever you want, have your way with me, a responsible partner would be like, no, Mm no, 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 no. That's not how this works. And I think that's what is so upsetting about this is that like, I don't begrudge people trying to find support. The mental health system is borked. And like, if you can't find help from a legitimate source, you're going to go to a less legitimate source no blame on their part whatsoever. It's the professionals in this space <laughs> quote who are like, oh, your first time in the BDSM joint? Yeah, you wanna do anything? Okay, I've got this. This is gonna probably show my complete lack of knowledge of BDSM. Here's my here's my cat of nine tails, and here's I mean, nipple, cl- can I say sure. nipple clamps on the thing? Anyway, like, <laughs> I, just I just did. I just so, did. So, so like, <laughs> okay, Fifty Shades of Graves, That's about as much as I learned, and I know that's not a good representation. Anyway, disclaimer done. But yeah, like,
1: if, yeah. The whole point is it's supposed, the therapy is like BDSM in that you're, 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 you're. (laughs) Sorry, Sarah. Please have that be the title. (laughs) Therapy is like BDSM. Please, please. (laughs) It's so good viewers that you can't see the level of blushing happening on this whole chat. Um, We're professionals. therapy (laughs) Therapy and BDSM have in common that it's all about being willing to be vulnerable and giving the power to the other person with your safety. Mm-hmm. That's it. And so if you it's can't so- trust them, then it's, then it's destroying. Yeah. Hashtag most vanilla response ever when talking about BDSM.
0: <laughs> I was like, what's Sarah gonna say?
1: Consent is key.
0: Like that's so super important. And even, but even
3: more than consent, because like the people who are going on these shows necessarily, like they're consenting to talk to said person, but Mm -hmm. you know, that's so that, that I can see that being an argument. Well, they went on voluntarily. Yeah. But again, the professional has the power in that space and you can't use it for likes or subs or
2: bits
3: (laughs) like that the idea of like doing therapy for bits publicly makes me want to vomit Oh, oh yeah that's awful Well, and
1: part of the safety is if someone's feeling suicidal or someone's feeling homicidal ideation or someone's feeling really lost and you just tell them casually what to do on a stream with other people contributing you got the whole peanut gallery there then what in therapy, we hold the person there until we can figure out safety protocol. We talk to them about safety protocol. We talk to them about what this is going to look like and what we need to do. Therapy. That is not something that happens <laughs> on those streams in the same way. It's impossible.
3: I'm sitting here trying to think about doing therapy with a client when there's like 500 people watching and it just
1: never it feels icky. Never. It feels really icky. And there is, there is no like, you can't revoke whatever you've shared on the internet you just can't yeah. and going hey that this... person might even clip it yeah and saying hey this isn't therapy
3: at the start of it and then you proceed to do therapy guess what you still did therapy it's still
0: therapy yeah yeah, yeah it, it's sort of this like with your point of like you're trying to be ethical and like there's these people who are awesome. getting like lots of follows they're not being ethical I, I saw a tweet that was in regard to 2020 which was just this is why i hated cl- group projects in school Yep, <laughs> it
3: is. You, you do your work and you do the assignment and, you know, because not everybody pulls their weight, you get a B-minus, which is the worst grade you've ever gotten in your life.
0: Or is that just me? Or me, but that's okay. <laughs> and you do the whole project by yourself. Yeah, you do it for yeah. them. And get an A and everybody who didn't do a lick of work got an A too because the grading system was unfair and I'm not bitter from high school. Mm-mm. I'm not hearing bitterness at all. No, we
2: talked about both
1: on this episode. No, no. And I had lied. I said I had nothing to noodle on today, but I lied. It's National Macaroni and Cheese Day on this day of recording. So happy noodling, everybody. Eat some belated mac and cheese with me.
3: I feel like that's important for us as brain noodles to celebrate National Mac and Cheese Days. It's also International Shark Day. So
1: I mean, what a what a what a collision of, of amazing things. Yeah. Sharks and macaroni and cheese. <laughs> we did. We did. <laughs> we did. <laughs> Full circle. You guys remember on Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network? I think it was Nickelodeon back in the way back. This is gonna date all of us, but back in mm-hmm. the day on Nickelodeon, they would say on this day, and then it's like the weird holidays, mm-hmm. like National Mac yeah. and Cheese Day or National International Shark holiday. Day, <laughs> or like Rabbit Rabbit <laughs> Day, Cap Your Head Day, yeah left-handed people's day like all the goofy ones that aren't like memorial day <laughs> good point. Good stuff <laughs> like memorial day is good but yeah. also mac and cheese day. mac and cheese
0: <laughs> mac and cheese makes my children happy and they stop bothering me <laughs> yeah
1: beautiful yeah.
0: memorial day doesn't do I that
1: unfortunately <laughs> it's a bit more somber of a holiday i could have it used is. a better it example a like like i don't know easter <laughs> No, know that's religious thanksgiving
0: that's- thanksgiving my my kids like thanksgiving does not make them stop bothering me they bother me more
1: it depends is there mac and cheese at your thanksgiving sometimes yeah right but
0: usually like it's the last thing to get ready and they are hungry and hangry and just mm -mm.
1: the mac and cheese doesn't make it see for me it's the oreo salad and then i eat very little so i can eat all of the oreo salad Mm. (laughs) i don't think you could call something salad if
0: it has oreos in it I
3: disagree. No. I am solidly in Sarah's <laughs> camp. I am team Oreo <laughs> salad because
1: for the record, for the listeners, I don't know. Did we talk about this on street before? I forget where I talked. I think we have. Yes. Yeah. 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 We were the swapping whipped cream recipes. cream and Oreo combinations. Heck yeah.
3: <laughs> I mean, just there for it. I have orange salad, which is orange jello with orange sherbet topped with marshmallows. So definitely a salad. My grandma
1: would always oranges. put shredded carrots in that too because iowa that's more of a salad it becomes
4: more <laughs> there's a, a vegetable salad.
1: present
0: yeah yeah Ugh. all right rachel bring us home what have you been noodling on
2: i can't bring you home after macaroni day um... <laughs> yes you can
0: i mean you are wearing uh, a
3: I'm... rainbow sunglasses pug shirt
2: I am. I am this is a pretty sweet shirt i'm sorry you all can't see it um vintage target in case anybody's wondering um Yeah, I'm thinking about, I'm noodling about streaming, speaking of more mental health people in the space who will not be doing therapy, uh, because I'm not a therapist, and I'm not your therapist, and I won't be doing therapy on stream, but um, I'm going to start streaming next month, so I've been noodling about, like, how to do all those things, and what do I need, and what do I not need, and I was talking to Megan earlier about how do I even put my webcam in the appropriate spot so I'm not looking to the side the whole time, and, and all those fun things, so... That's been taking up a lot of my um, mental space. I've been noodling a lot on OBS or Streamlabs with OBS or Stream Elements, or you know, all the stuff that streamer people think about.
1: Uh, Let us know your streamer
2: tricks and tips. Yeah, and so far it's OBS and Stream Elements has seems to be the winning combination, and Canva uh, for all of my design needs. You, my free thirty days. You trial. mean? Do you mean Canva? Canva? Oh yeah, Canva. <laughs> Not Canva.
1: Hashtag not yes. sponsors. No, not sponsored. Coba, yeah. You see where my mind is. I, I think my question my is, does it matter, so I've always had it that because I put my camera on my ring light mounted between both of my displays, does it matter that if I'm facing camera, do my eyes have to be on the camera or not?
2: They do not. They can be slightly under and it looks like you're still. Cause looking. if you look no, directly off to a side.
3: If you, uh, I'm going to look directly at the camera.
2: Yeah, so it's you creepy. Don't need to look yeah, directly. yeah. See how she's. Looking you only at do that time. for
0: effect, where you're like, and I'm talking to you. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like breaking that. Football. I'll
1: only do that as like an effect, like if I'm mm-hmm. trying to be silly on a stream and be like, I know what you're thinking. Like then I will look at the camera and do that and, and be silly and point and you know whatever. But I'm not gonna do that on average. I'll look at the screen.
2: But I did determine that it was important that the camera was facing the way that I'm going to be looking and not to the side, my husband watches a lot of woodworking, woodworker people who do streams in YouTube, and he's like, no one ever looks at the camera. And I'm like, yeah, but I feel like in just chatting, you kind of want to look in the direction of the camera. He's like, oh, well, yeah. That's my point. <laughs>
1: well, right, and you're talking like <laughs> oh, oh, your yeah, yeah. face yeah, yeah, you. looking yeah. in a
2: different direction. Versus like this, like turn it, yeah. like you don't want to see this while you're in a just chatting stream. Right when here. she says
1: this, listeners, she is mm-hmm. turning her face, side
2: of my face
0: to
1: a three-quarter yes. profile. Yeah, she's going in pre- Yes. <laughs> I mean, I figure. I mean, like,
0: I watch some streamers who do have in profile, but they're playing a game. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
3: Right. I'm going to be playing right. games, and so right. it's going to be like in front. Or right now, I'm just mm-hmm. using the webcam that is in my Mac. Um. So mm-hmm. usually, it's a little tilted down, but yeah, like. Yeah. Most people. Yeah, most people come gaming, for the content. Most people.
1: Yeah. My mm-hmm. big tip is to increase your accessibility. It is very simple. Um, and their website even has instructions very clearly on how to do this web captioner. It's a Chrome Mm. link and you can add captions and even have them in a font that is appropriate for dyslexic folks to read. Um, yeah, so it's really nice. And then like for a person who is, um, who is like, Managing hearing stuff, or or for a person with ADHD or neurodiversity like myself, it's nice to have a visual record uh, to be able to like, oh, what was what was that detail that I just ignored? Like, or what was that thing that they just said while I was trying to think about my grocery list because my brain sucks sometimes. Like, yeah. okay. <laughs> and you can yeah. find you can
3: find a link to Web Captioner on the Take This Discord at discord.gg/takethisorg. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Check out our resources category and select the accessibility channel to you if I take this oh. up <laughs> <Bah, bah, bah.
0: laughs> not a sponsor but no sponsors are, involved
1: in this in this discussion there today.
0: are not this is no. just no. us chatting and yes. stuff but listeners if you have noodles that you are thinking about please submit them to the geeks like us twitter and we will you know listen to them and discuss if needed and feature them as long as it's appropriate things but anyway we will see you all soon and Amelia's going to do our outro because I can never end this anything
3: I look forward to our uh, (laughs) therapy BDSM noodles that are going to come in.
1: Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Thanks everybody for attending. Take care of yourselves. Step away when you have to. Wash your hands. Tell people you love them. And for heaven's sakes, wear a mask.
0: (laughs) Wear a mask. You can get really cool geeks like us ones at Redbubble.
1: <laughs> yes, and if you're not gonna go for the GLU one, you can always go on lookhuman.com. Hashtag not sponsors either, and they even have animal faces and cool ones and queer ones and funny ones and ones that say "Keep your beans cleans with kitties on them and back away and Uncle Sam saying "I want you to stay away from me." So <laughs> I need that. There's great ones. Day. They're funny. Yeah, I know fun there's some that are Like if you can read this, you're too close to me. Yes. And they have one that has a giant rainbow on it that just says in bubble, like cartoony letters, I have anxiety.
3: That's the one I flagged. Like,
1: that one, please. Yep. <laughs> They're great. So, GLU masks, other funny masks, any masks, I don't care, wear them. <laughs> and if someone tells you someone hurt them, believe them. Brain Noodles is a product of geeks like us. Your host for this podcast is Dr. Megan Connell with her fellow noodlers, Drs. Kelly Dunlap, Sarah Hayes, and Rachel Cowart. Your producer for this podcast is Amelia Herbst. Music for this podcast is The Life of Riley by Kevin McLeod. Follow us on Twitch and Twitter at GeeksLikeUs. That is 3 G-3-3-K-S-L-I-K-U-S. That's right, geeks with two threes, like us. And until next time, keep noodling.